Good morning. My name is Peter Hope, and I'm Tom's substitute this morning. There have been times um, in my life when I've missed out on things. Other times when I've just been in the right place at the right time. And I just want to share one or two of those with you once the good old faithful PowerPoint comes up. September 2016, I had the opportunity to be in Malta and uh, love visiting uh, places there, especially anything in, in the natural realm. And we went to the Azure window. And uh, it really was um, excellent. You know, you could see right through the, the structure and the blueness of the sky and the sea. Wonderful. And, uh, of course, people were, were told to keep off it uh, for, um, you know, it's not going to be there forever. And, in fact, um, this is the picture of the situation in March uh, just uh, six months or so later. Fortunately, this happened overnight, um, so no one was injured. But the collapse came in. There was the before and the after. I'm, I didn't miss out. I saw it in all its glory. And uh, I think they want to somehow do some great structure to make it into uh, a museum, because they still want the visitors to go. The other occasion um, I'll, I'll just share um, was a bit of an accident, really. Um, I was working at Norwich Prison in the education department, and we were due to have a royal visit. The Princess Royal was coming. Now, she was going to have nothing to do with me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was a nobody. So, uh, but in our education department, there was going to be a, a plan of the new prison. And um, so she was going to be brought into the department, and we were under strict instructions, just stay out of the way. Keep in, in a spare classroom, which I did. But you know royal visits, they're supposed to be on the dot. So I thought, where is she? What, what's happening? You know, And curiosity got the better of me. I went out of the classroom, across the corridor, to look out of the window, and you've guessed it, just at that moment, around the end of the corridor comes the prison governor and Princess Anne, and I wasn't going to dash into the classroom. That would be just ridiculous. So I, I pretended that I was in the right place, and... Uh, so I was, I was actually introduced to her by name. So well done to the governor for, for knowing me. But um, I didn't miss out. <laughs> was, uh, so that was uh, something I, I won't remember. I, I'm sorry, I won't forget. Uh, <laughs> I say that because of what's coming next, you see. Um, I can't think it was as long ago as 2011, but it may well have been. You know, when you retire, you start to think, what, what can I do? And I saw a, an advert for a, a male voice choir, four-part choir, um, and you didn't have to read music 
to belong to it. So I thought, well, that's me. I enjoy singing, but I can't read music. And the idea was that you should uh, go for these sort of rehearsals, and then there was to be a concert. So, you know, once I commit myself to something, I'm in. So I went week by week and uh, did the rehearsals, got my right part, and, uh, you know, sang well, learned all the songs. And there was to be a concert of the main choir, and, and our beginners were going to be a part of that. A week later, I looked at the calendar, and I thought, oh, I've missed the concert. And I couldn't believe what, what had happened. I'd just forgotten to go on the last occasion. And I missed out. How embarrassing is that? I left it a month or two before I wrote a, an apologetic note to the, the organizer. I missed out on that occasion. And another one I missed out on was this, this glorious moment back in 2019, Norwich City 2, Manchester City, sorry, Norwich City 3, Manchester City 2. I wasn't there. I gave my season ticket to my youngest daughter, who even today says that was the greatest Norwich match she had ever seen. I missed out because I wasn't there. Now, you know where this is leading, don't you? There was someone who missed out because they were not there. And we're going to find out about that. Addie is going to come and give us our Bible reading. And here it is, if you want to follow. Do come up, Addie. It's John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. Good morning, church. Um, reading from John 20, 19 to 29. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After I said this, he showed, his, he showed them his hands and said, And sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive any, anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the knees were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because ye have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. May the Lord bless the reading of his words in our hearts in Jesus' name. Thank you, brother. I want to start by thinking of that day. Day two, we'll call it, because on day one, Jesus had died. And it's a day of disillusionment. And I'm trying to think of this in in terms of Thomas's perspective on all that had happened. I wonder if, first of all, he was disappointed with Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people we know. And Thomas had been there for three years with him, listening to his teaching, witnessing the miraculous, and coming to the conclusion Is there anything this guy cannot do? Think of the healings. Think of his control of the elements, his ability to feed a crowd, even raising of the dead. Who could possibly oppose him and be successful? Just imagine if in your mind is the idea of having a military leader Someone who could control the elements, what would actually happen on the day. Someone who could heal the wounded. Someone who could raise up the dead in the army. They would be unable to be defeated if if Jesus was such a leader, if Jesus had such a plan. We had hoped, said some, he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. That was what they had in their mind. They couldn't get out of that mindset that it was for the good of the nation that Jesus would rise to prominence. And that triumphal entry into Jerusalem just fed into that, didn't it? It showed that he had popular support. It all looked to be heading in that direction. Is that what Thomas had in his mind? And yet, despite all that, Jesus submits to arrest, to an unfair trial, to mistreatment, to undeserved punishment and death. He takes it. Now, Jesus had never encouraged these false ideas. There was once a time when Peter was asked by Jesus, who do you 
say I am. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, do you know, Peter? Nobody's told you this, but my father in heaven. He's revealed that truth to you. And we're told in the Gospels that from that moment, once Peter had that clear in his mind, that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer and die. So it's not that they did not know. They had not been told. He had clearly spelled it out to them. He told them he would have to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed, and on the third day raised to life. Thomas had it all wrong, but they all did. He was disappointed with Jesus. And perhaps, too, he was disappointed with Judas. Judas. He'd known the guy for the last three years. They'd been together. They were, they were travelers on the same journey. They, they were followers of the same Jesus. Three years. And yet, he had turned out to be the one who betrayed Jesus to the authorities. The disillusionment that must have uh, set in there. To think that one of their number had done that. And was he disappointed with Peter? Peter, that one of the three that Jesus often took with him, that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, he'd been there, perhaps closest to Jesus, surely would have understood what Jesus' mission was, what Jesus' purpose was. He'd been all outspoken and energetic. That's, that's the kind of guy he was. But three times he denied even knowing Jesus when it came to count. What a disappointment this all is. And perhaps, perhaps disillusioned with himself. When he thought back over the last few years, what had he been like? He'd been inquisitive. Oh, there's a part of the Gospel of John, let me get that out of the way, where Jesus is speaking about going away. And, and Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what that does is, is provoke from Jesus something which has become among the many of the famous words that Jesus ever spoke. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You see, we know that. Most of us, we recognize that. Because it's there recorded for us, the words of Jesus in response to Thomas. And he'd been very courageous. 
When they heard of the news of the death of Lazarus, they were concerned about whether they should go to pay their respects to the family because they were going to be, um, as it were, coming out of cover. They would have to come into an area of danger. And Thomas steps up and says, let us also go that we may die with him. He'd been very bold in that. But when the time came, what had he done? He legged it. Well, they all had. They all deserted him and fled. What a disappointment. What a day of utter disillusionment. I wonder what that day was like. They all kept together. There were dangers involved, so they kept together. Now, historians tell us that if we take in a period, uh, the hundred years before the time of Jesus and the hundred years after, there were at least 12 messianic movements or prophetic movements where there was a key figure that was being followed who had a, a, a popular following among the people and whose aim was to overthrow the, the Roman uh, forces. But most of those met with a violent end. And what was the choice of the followers each and every time? To go home? To put it all behind them? All their political activism? Or would they get themselves a new leader and get started all over again? The one thing that none of them would have expected was that their leader would become alive again. He was dead, gone, that was over. Now, these movements were primarily among Jews. These were people who, who believed in a general resurrection. They believe that all will be raised on the last day to face God in judgment. So it's not that they didn't believe in resurrection, but they didn't believe when it would occur and that there would be one, one who would rise from death and show the possibility of new life after death. Prove it. That disillusionment was shared by all of Jesus' followers, and all their expectations proved to be false. So after they had recovered from the initial shock, they had to reassess where Jesus' death left them collectively and individually, and how they would move on from the collapse of their hopes. The next day was a day of developments, one thing after another. First of all, there was the testimony 
of the women. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels that said he was alive. That was the testimony of the women. They'd gone to anoint the body, found that the, the great stone at the entrance to the tomb had been taken away, and Jesus' body was not there. And then they'd seen angels, and they conveyed the message to the others. And then we have the testimony of Peter and John. They ran to see if these things were true. They ran to the tomb. They saw no angels, but they saw an empty tomb, and they saw that there was no body in it. Now, Peter, we're told, goes away wondering what it's all meant. John wants to put in a good word about himself that he, he saw the grave clothes and he believed, he says. What did he believe? But that was their testimony. They'd witnessed things. And then we have the testimony of Mary. She had followed Peter and John back to the tomb and she had hung about. She was deeply moved by, by a, a, a wondering what on earth was happening. And then, then that meeting with the gardener. And she comes back, I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. He's alive. And then later in the day, there's the testimony of Peter. We know nothing about it, apart from the fact it happened. Peter never wrote about it, surprisingly. Nothing is recorded. Well, I wonder what happened in that, that meeting. Certainly, Jesus had much to say to Peter at that time. But we don't know. All we know is that Peter had seen the Lord. And then there were two who went on a walk back to their village at Emmaus. And they met a stranger who they talked with, who seemed to know nothing about what had been happening in Jerusalem. So they shared that. And then he began to talk to them and, and open up scriptures. And, but it wasn't until they invited him into their home and he broke bread. Was it the hands they saw? But they suddenly realized who this stranger was. And off they go back to Jerusalem to tell the rest, who then say, we've seen, though Simon has seen the Lord. And then we have the testimony of the, the 10 plus, we'll call them. Because at that time, just as the two return and, and they're, they're telling what happened and, and Peter's saying, yes, he's, he appeared to me too, the Lord himself appears. And they're all witnesses to it. And what does he do? He invites them 
to examine him. Sometime, we don't know when, sometime in that day, Thomas left them. Perhaps he'd heard some of these testimonies, but certainly not all of them, not the last few. He had missed out because he wasn't there. And when he comes to hear about it, as he most surely does, and we'll move on to the next period, and over the next days, nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Thomas insists, well, if you have examined him, I want to do the same. I want to see those wounds. I want to put my finger in those, those wounds in his hands. I want to put my hand in his side. If you've seen that evidence, I want to see it too. But nothing happens. Time passes. No further reports of any appearances. And this time, he stays with them. He doesn't go off on his own. But how difficult that period must have been. All the others in the room had something to tell of what they had seen and what they'd heard. And he was the only one who had no testimony. But he's not rejected by the others. He stays with them. We've no idea what discussions went on at that time. What was the implications for them of a living Lord? It was still so soon after the death of Jesus and their, their lives were in danger too. So he had nowhere else to go in one sense. Until that day when suddenly it all kicks off again and there is Jesus again. And it's obvious that he is familiar with Thomas's demands. So he addresses him directly. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Again, there's so much we don't know about this. Did Thomas do that? Did he examine Jesus as fully as he was invited to? His utterance... The words that he says, so few, but so profound. He says, my Lord and my God. He, a Jew, with a belief in God, but not that God takes flesh, 
somehow, at that moment, all these things come together that Thomas acknowledges Jesus not only as his Lord, but the only other inescapable conclusion that Jesus is God, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says these words, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is this a kind of rebuke? All were devastated that their Lord had been put to death. Not one of the company of disciples expected Jesus to be raised from death. But they had come to believe it because they had seen him. Is it not reasonable that Thomas should expect the same? And in these words, Jesus compares belief based on sight with belief based on testimony. The commission he gave those who had seen him was to go and witness to what they had seen. Those who heard them could only come to believe that Jesus is Lord and God through their testimony. To those who would do so, there would be some benefit, some blessing that Thomas and the others would not experience themselves because they had seen. If I may, I want to just share some thoughts that have arisen in my mind since I understood from the Lord that I should focus on Thomas's crisis of faith. I'm still thinking them through and I've run out of thinking time because I'm on my feet in front of you. So <laughs> they don't necessarily hang together. Firstly, let me continue with that, that train of thought. Those days where nothing seems to happen are very much like the period in which we live. Except we live between the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus back to the Father and his second coming. These are days in which Jesus is represented by the Holy Spirit who continues his ministry. And in this time, we live by faith and not by sight. Jesus' appearances after the resurrection were only for a 40-day period although the number of witnesses grew to over 500. But there have been millions of believers since Jesus returned to the Father, all who've come to believe in him without seeing him. They believe because they accept the testimony that others have given. And those who saw Jesus, whose lives touched his, were in a very special position. When we read through the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, we find a record of the, the daily struggles of individuals that lived out their life in relationship with God, that they had, the God they had come to know, but they had not seen. And they became examples 
to later generations to be people of great faith. They took God at his word. They believed his promises to them. And they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Consider the baptisms here last week. Six testified that Jesus is alive, not through sight, but through insight or revelation, through personal experience. All of us have access to the written testimony of those who saw the resurrected Jesus. It's contained here in the New Testament. In addition, there is spoken testimony of those who have encountered the living Christ in their own lives. There are people all around us who have a story to tell. And this is the evidence that we must examine. There are some for whom it's all or nothing. They start with a long list of questions they want answered before they will accept the teaching and claims of Jesus himself or those who follow him. Yet most people who come to faith do so on a very narrow range of convictions. For those who set out on the life of discipleship, there's often a key issue that takes them from unbelief to faith. I brought along, not to show off or anything, but my, my volume of systematic theology, okay? It covers here everything you might want to know about the Christian faith from angles of everyone of all Christian persuasions. Okay, there might be some who claim that they're going to work through that and, you know, as they believe all of it, in the end of it, they'll say, okay, I'll believe. But for most of us, there's one key issue. There's one thing. And for Thomas, that issue was clear. He, he spelled it out. Only one thing that would satisfy him that he wanted to examine Jesus, to prove that, that he was truly alive. But as soon as that was satisfied, his faith expanded to something far greater, my Lord and my God. Everyone who becomes a follower of Jesus is in the same situation. There is a key issue. Once that is resolved, the journey into faith then begins. The exploration of matters that will bring a deeper understanding. If you're not a Christian, what is your key issue? I believe that Jesus is ready to engage you about that thing. But are you truly ready for exploring that matter further? Which leads me just to uh, one other thought concerning how we do church. Some Christian groups are very forceful about an us-them divide. And they're quite hostile to unbelievers. 
They may not say that in their words, but their actions are clear. To come among us, they say, you've got to behave. You know, it's shirt and tie, it's dresses, it's hats, it's this is how we do it. You conform. You come among us, but you have to behave. And then we'll pray that you may believe. And then, hey, you can belong to our fellowship. And many traditional churches are like that. They're very tidy. But they may be devoid of real life. There is another model. It says, come and belong to us. And if you come to believe, it will change how you behave. In such a church, seekers and doubters are welcome. It's very messy because people come with warts and all. This church is one that believes that the the circle of believers is the safe and right place to ask questions. I'd love it if when people were chatting after the service, they were talking about matters of faith with one another, sharing how they can help one another with the mess. Because you know what happens where two or three are gathered In Jesus' name, he says, I'm there. Jesus turns up. He turns up and he answers the questions. Because he knows what the question was. And he's able to speak into your life. Faith comes from hearing the message. The message is heard through the word about Christ. So what kind of church do we want NCBC to be? A tidy church? A messy church? But certainly we want a place where Jesus turns up and sorts out each of us. We're going to close by singing a statement of faith. And I hope you can all share in that. I believe. I believe is what we're going to sing.